thought I'd get you this morning with a little slower song than we're used to. But it's a great song, How Great Is Our God. And as we think of this Easter day, this resurrection day, how great is our God indeed, for he is risen. He is the living God. It's interesting in breaking a bread this morning that, uh, Don, you brought up the Easter sunrise early in the morning. And as you got up and started talking about it, I said, Don, you're taking my message away. Because <laughs> um, that's where we're going to start this morning, at Easter sunrise. But I want you to think about this. Is the Easter sunrise an important event in your life today? Or in the, uh, an event important to others around us? Um, it is for many. I mean, people flock to Easter sunrises. I know that there's this big banner up at... Uh, Lone Tree Cemetery, every Easter, you know, they're going to have an early sunrise service. Now, I didn't see it this morning, though. I didn't go that way, but uh, usually they have one. But there was an Easter sunrise that took place. It was one of the first Easter sunrises that ever took place in the U.S. And it was on a mountain down in Riverside, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it's Mount Rubido. And... Um, I don't know if you can see it really good here. I'm looking at the back. So I see, you see this line of cars? And you thought we had traffic jams here in the Bay Area. Well, I think there's a little traffic jam here as people got up early Sunday morning in 1909 to go to the top of Mount Rubido. It's kind of an interesting place because back in April 4th in 1909, there was a man, his name was Jacob Ruiz, he was a, a, a photographer and also a journalist who was visiting down in Riverside, and uh, he was staying at the Mission Inn in Riverside, and while he was uh, there dining with the inn, inn's owner, Frank Miller, they, uh, they were talking about this mountain off in the back. He saw this cross up on Mount Rubido, and as a result of seeing that, Frank mentioned to him that he placed his wooden cross on top of this mountain two years earlier. And as Ruiz gazed at this mountain, he said to Miller, and this is a quote, I see in the days to come an annual pilgrimage. Call it what you will, winding its way up the steeps of Mount Rubido. Now, Mount Rubido, it's about a three-mile hike to go up, and it it rises about 400 feet from, from the sea level, but it's a good hike. But he says that he sees the steeps of Mount Rubido climbing ever toward, higher ever toward the cross that crowns the summit, where the dell, now, that's kind of an unusual word. Now, I didn't want to take away the word dell. Anybody heard of the word dell? Okay, well, it's kind of, you don't hear that too much, but it's a small valley. And so he sees a small valley, and it peels out its message of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And a gathering there to sing the old songs that go straight to the hearts of men and women. And that message that Ruiz gave to Frank Miller that day really moved his heart about doing, uh, having a special occasion. And so... What happened, he was so moved that the following Sunday was Easter Sunday. They published a notice that they were going to have an Easter sunrise at Mount Rubido. And as you can see this picture, you see all these people traveling up to the mountain. And uh, it's kind of scary. I can't imagine being in one of these cars heading up to that mountain. I'm, and I started looking at the arrangement of the cars. How did they do that? They must have went single file. And then they went around the mountain and came back around to go down. Kind of interesting. Um, here's another photo of Mount Rubido with all their people in their finest Sunday dress. Uh, I wonder how long it took the ladies to get prepared to go to the Sunday sunrise. <laughs> you know? A lot different than what you see today, isn't it? And here is the mountain today. There's a path that goes up leading up the steep hill of the mountain and they've had Sunday service there for years, ever since the first time, every Sunday. Now, there was a time where the government tried to shut it down because it was public land. And they talked about separation of church and state. And they went through all that business legally. And they finally got some owners to purchase the land. And they finally, uh, it, it's, it's private property now, but uh, 
They open it up to, for people to go up there on Sundays and any time. It's a park. It's a beautiful place. So we see Mount Rubidoux, and then we see Current. Now, it's interesting that um, over 100 years that every Easter Sunday, people would gather to go up. But there was another gathering on Easter Sunday. And Don, you took away my message again. <laughs> uh, Don talked about the women who came to the empty tomb that morning. And there was a gathering of people at a tomb to see what was happening at this tomb. It's kind of interesting, too, and Don alluded to this a little bit, too, and I'll remind for some that weren't here earlier, that there was a Roman cohort that was put in charge to guard that tomb because the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, they were in fear because they remembered the Lord said, you take this body, I will raise it again in three days. And they were in fear that somebody was going to steal the body. So the Romans put a guard out in the tomb to make sure no one would take that body. And, um, and it's interesting because if you look at a Roman guard, a Roman soldier, their lives were on the line when they were guarding because if they'd fallen asleep, they'd be put to death. If they lost a prisoner, they would be put to death. So it kind of gave them a, a good reason to stay awake and alert. However... The God's plan was not going to be thwarted at all. He would rise from the dead. And that tomb would be empty. So there was another gathering to look at that tomb that Sunday morning almost two, over 2,000 years ago. It wasn't at the cross at Golgotha, but it was that empty tomb not too far away in Jerusalem. Has anybody in here been to the garden tomb? Krista? Okay. Um, it's not too far away from where Jesus had died. And um, let's take a look at what the scriptures say about this event. And again, Don, we're going to go right back to Matthew. Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and, other, and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. Now, can you just think about those words. Can you imagine being there and seeing this? It would just blow your mind. I mean, I can't imagine going up to... Lone Tree Cemetery, and all of a sudden see this tomb opened up, and it's empty. There's nothing there, and there's this bright, shining light. Would that kind of make you wonder? Sure, make me wonder. And in Luke 24, it also describes this event. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb to bring in the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Now, can you imagine their, their minds when they heard this? The reminder that the Lord said he would rise from the dead. He promised he did what he promised. He said what he will do. That's, a, that's the God that we have. We can count on his promises. And that's a pretty big promise, isn't it? How many people have you ever seen raised from the dead? Not too many, I don't think. I've been to a lot of mortuaries and cemeteries, and I haven't seen it. It's an amazing event that occurred that day. And just place yourself there 
What would it have been like for you? What are your thoughts going through your mind as you recall the words of the Lord? As he proclaimed that he would die and he would be raised again. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to ask yourself, is there an impact to me if Jesus did not rise from the dead? Is there an impact? Oftentimes, we don't think about this, do we? Well, we see in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on and says, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all are, now look at this, then all are. Can you see that in red? I should, I don't, can you see it? Is it kind of hard? Let me read it then. Then all our preaching is useless. Can you imagine that? Our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. Can you imagine hearing those words? Kind of makes you shudder, kind of sends cold chills up my spine to think, uh, had he not risen, this is what we would be gathering here in a useless manner. Why come? Why would fill a seat here today? Is useless if he had not risen. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sin. Can you imagine? You're still guilty of your sin. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Well, those in Christ have no fear of death, for Jesus took the sting of death. He said that. He took the sting of death. He took it for us. He is the risen Savior. Jesus is risen. So how does this impact me? Well, let's take a look at seven different points as to why the resurrection is so important. One, it's the core message of Christianity. Two, Jesus' physical resurrection is a central doctrine of the Christian faith. It demonstrated the deity of Jesus. There's no resurrection, there's no church. Matt, you wouldn't be here today. Kathy, you wouldn't be here today. Colleen, you wouldn't be here today. No reason to be here today. Right? There'd be no church. You ever thought about that before? <laughs> no church? It's beyond my comprehension. Another point that shows that it purchased our justification. We talked a little bit about justification. It's just amazing how these scriptures came up because we don't talk about that too much. Justification. We'll cover a little bit more this morning. And six, it gives us the joy of knowing that Christ is with us today. Isn't that, isn't that great that he is with us today? He is living. He is with us. And seven, gives us hope that goes beyond the grave. Let's cover point one. 
The resurrection is the core message of the Christian faith. You know, it's sad today that Christians around the world only get excited about the resurrection on Easter, when in reality, every Sunday, they should be excited about the resurrection. It's just not one event that occurs once a year. You know, messages given on Sunday often include the gospel, but usually focus on the cross. And the resurrection many times is ignored, it's assumed, or only mentioned uh, in passing. And through that, you'll hear the gospel. And we hear that word, the gospel, often. But uh, what does it mean to you? What does the gospel mean to you? Does your understanding of the gospel line up with what's in the word of God? And that's what we have to check, right? Here's my understanding. This is what I understand. And then I have to take my Bible, the word of God, bring it up and line up my understanding with what I believe. And does it line up? Always comparing to make sure that we bring our thinking in line with God's word. Well, in Romans 1.6, it says, Paul says, I'm not, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now notice, it is the power of God. Make sure that's in white. To salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone. Not to a specific group, but to anyone who believes. So if it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, what is the gospel? Ask yourself, what does the gospel mean to me? How many times have you gone out and you've asked people, what is the gospel message? Oh, that's the first four books of the Bible. That's the gospel. Really? Uh, well, do you think it's important to know what the gospel is? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't think so. Well, wait a minute. It says here, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Well, I think it might be very pretty important that you know what the gospel is, because it leads you to salvation. So if they don't know what the gospel is, can they be saved? Can you be saved if you don't know the gospel? I don't think so. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, take notice, there are three points to the gospel. And I know most of you in this room have heard this before, but there's three points to the gospel. It's never changed all these years that I've been a believer. It always remains the same. How about you, Don? Always remain the same? Three points, never changes. There are people who want to twist it, add to it, but there's three main points. One, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And two, and that he was buried. And three, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel message. Now you take each one of those points and ask yourself this. Well, why is it important to understand that he died for my sin? Number two, why is it important that he was buried? And why is it important that he rose again? What is it we need to know about that? They're just not mere words. There's an event that occurred to each one of those, those points, right? Well, as a weekly reminder, these facts in the early day church began as they met the first day of the week. They were reminded of the gospel every Sunday. And I have to look back every time we gathered together for the Lord's breaking of bread. Every Sunday, the first day of the week, we hear the gospel. Matt, you've been around a while. Have you heard the gospel almost every Sunday at the breaking of bread? Yeah. We hear that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again. 
The early day church, they met to celebrate Jesus' defeat of death and to remember his resurrection. And this continues today as thousands and thousands of people around the world gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the first day of the week. We see this in the book of Acts, Acts 20. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, we see in Acts 2, 46, so continue, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And then 1 Corinthians, we see that for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, why would he say, do this in remembrance of me? Why would he put that sentence in there? Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, well, I think we're forgetful people. Do we, do we forget? We become accustomed to things we forget. If we take things for granted, we forget. So the Lord puts that in there. Do this in remembrance of me. He wants us to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. Right? And he also wants us to remind us, too, of our sinful nature that we are sinners, we're deserving of hell. And that he died for us to take away the penalty of sin from us. And he wants us to remember that. And I have to say all the years that I've been breaking bread, it causes me to think back of how wretched I am, a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner deserving of hell. But the loving Lord, he loved me so much, he gave himself for me. What an awesome God that we have. Then he said in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, he says, in remembrance of me. As you read the scriptures, keep in mind when you see the Lord repeat things, you see Paul or the other apostles repeat things in scriptures, they're trying to gather our attention. It's an important point. He doesn't want us to forget. And then he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, he's coming again. Point two, belief in Jesus' physical resurrection is one of the central doctrines of Christianity. You know, it's a remarkable thing that every true evangelical church, from Baptist to Methodist to New Testament church, they all believe in one simple truth. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. A Christian, a true believer, someone who believes in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and lives in light of that event. The central doctrine of our belief is the gospel. And note, it's not the four books of the New Testament. It's the power of God into salvation for all those who believe. Based on Paul's clear promise in Romans... He says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you believe on Jesus? 
Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? If you have, he says you will be saved. Isn't that a good promise? Saved. Stamp. Stamp of approval. Saved. Then you have to ask yourself, what does it mean to believe by the heart? <laughs> you know, it's not this mental assent between the heart and the mind, you know, about who Jesus is. Even the devil believes and he shudders. It's having an overwhelming heart knowledge, weeping over your sin, that you sinned against the holy and righteous God, and weeping over the thought that he died for you on the cross. That's believing in your heart. Not coming to a mental ascent of facts, but let it become real in your heart. Point three. The resurrection demonstrated to the whole world that Jesus is deity. He is deity. In Romans 1.4, he says, He declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. It is the resurrection of Jesus that reveals the true nature to all who will see. To all who will see. To all who will open their hearts to see who he is. See? In Acts 5, he says, God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sin. 1 John 5.20. And we know, and I like this, and we know, it's emphatic, and we know, that's what I like about 1 John. You read 1 John, he says, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. He's confident. Here, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. That we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and in his Son, Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. Now, is there anyone that you know of that says Jesus is not God? Just show them this verse. It's pretty straightforward and clear. How can they wiggle themselves away from this truth? It says clearly, this is the true God and eternal life. Those are some, that's pretty powerful words right there. Learn this verse for those who claim that Jesus is not God. In John 10, 17 through 18, it says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus said that. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Um, we have faithful and true heroes in our country, soldiers who lay down their lives for us, that we might have freedom. They have died, and they did it freely, but have they been able to raise it up again? No. Jesus laid his life down for us, for you. And then he says that I will take it up again. And he did, because the tomb is empty. <laughs> He's not there. It's like when I see the cross and I see Jesus hanging on a cross in, in a church someplace. I look at that and I said, my, 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 Jesus is not there. <laughs> He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He's living. He is amongst us.
And then he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. He is deity, because only God can raise life, and he's God. Point four, without the resurrection, we talked about this a little bit, there'd be no church. This building wouldn't be here. It might be a 7-Eleven. You wouldn't be driving here on Sunday mornings. You wouldn't be driving here on prayer, for prayer meetings. You wouldn't be driving here for special events, for buffets, for lunches and dinners and such. The deacons wouldn't have to be here to clean things up and to keep things in order here. The men here wouldn't be putting messages together for Sunday, for Bible studies, for preaching. None of that would be happening. It wouldn't be needed. There'd be no church. After Jesus' arrest and death, were the disciples unsure of what was going to happen? Yeah, they were pretty shaken by his death. They thought he would come as the Messiah to set up a kingdom here on this earth. But after his arrest and death, the disciples were lost. They were helpless, and they were afraid. So afraid, even Peter denied Jesus. while the rest all ran away. And I'd say without their unwavering confidence in Jesus' resurrection, as we see later in their lives, would the disciples have risked everything and in many cases been killed for their faith? I don't think so. But they believed in the Lord. And it would be hard to believe that all the disciples would die for something they knew would be a deliberate deception. Would you follow deception today? I mean, there's some people that do follow deceptions. And the church did not create resurrection stories, but it's the resurrection that created the church. That's what created the church. That's when the church began. In Matthew 16, it says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That's the Lord speaking to Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not, what? Prevail against it. Can you believe that today? Man, you look in the world today, you see what's going on with the churches today. Man, I would look up, you know, get online, check out the news this morning. Bombings in Sri Lanka. Three, three churches got bombed by terrorists. There was three five-star hotels that were bombed in Sri Lanka. Can man destroy the church? Can a government destroy the church? Political philosophy destroy the church? It might weaken it, but will it destroy it? Never. The Lord said so. So if you're disheartened when you see things going on in the world today, you don't have to worry about his church. Nothing can prevail against it. Nothing. It won't ever happen. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, it says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And what's that, Don, what's that thing we do with kids? You know, this is a church, this is a steeple, and remember that? Something like that. Anyway, all the people that are in it, you know, that's the church. It's not the building. It's not the steeple. It's the church. It's the people. You ever thought about that? Oh, well, I'm going to church. Well, I'm guilty of it, too. Yeah, we're going to church. Well, no, we're going to the building to be with the church. <laughs> right? Different thinking, isn't it? Every one of you out here that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the church. Even though that some of us might feel that we feel like a building sometimes when our weight gets carried away. But um, you are the church. It's people. It's Christ in them. They are the church. We are his. That's what it's, I love here. We're fellow citizens with the saints, the members of the household of God. And that's what's so fantastic, you know, when you come to know the Lord, you become his child. You become part of the family of God. And all of you in here, this is just a local expression of the church. But the church is worldwide. You know, Johnny, when you go down to Brazil and you see Christian churches down in Brazil and you see the believers meet together, they're just nothing more than the extension of who we are here. They're still part of the family of God. Anywhere we've traveled around, I know Don's traveled around a lot, and Matt, and I've traveled around the world. Um, when I go to a church of believers that gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like you've known these people forever. Isn't that right, Don? Yeah, it's amazing, Matt. Just amazing. There's a sense of fellowship, close fellowship. And that, is a, that, that happens because it's Christ in us. We're one in Christ. We're part of that family. And, you know, and it's a privilege to be in this family, isn't it? It's fantastic. But that all has occurred because of the resurrection. When Christ died and he was buried and he rose again, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. When you believe on him, the Holy Spirit comes into you. The Holy Spirit is with you forever. He is in you. You are in him. Isn't that a great truth? Is the resurrection important? Is it vital in our lives? Absolutely. Yeah. In Ephesians, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. And point five. The resurrection purchased our justification. When you ask most Christians about justification, they move straight to the cross. And they say, Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty for my sin. That was the price for our sins, and that's true. But if justification simply means an absence of guilt, we all have this blank slate, and then we have to spend the rest of our lives thinking, is that slate going to fill up again? Because we're still sinners. I'm still a sinner. I still sin. Is my slate clean? Yeah, it is. Because it's Jesus who justified me. Now, There's no reason to be worrying about the slate being filled up again and I have to pay for those sins. But Paul tells us in Romans 4.25, he was delivered up for our offenses and raised for our what? Justification. Though we are sinners, those in Christ are counted as righteous. And it's just as if we lived a holy life. Can you imagine that? 
I mean, I look at my life and say, how are you holy? Uh, not really. I'm like Paul. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. But in Christ, I'm holy. How does that work? Well, I had this illustration. You know, have you ever seen uh, you know, somebody hold up a glass of water and you look through that clear glass of water and you see somebody on the other side? Well, it's like this. I, as a sinner, have been justified, have been forgiven of my sin. And the one who justifies me is Jesus. And he justifies me before his Father. So the Father is here. Jesus is here. And I'm here. And when the Father sees me, he sees me through who? If I'm in Jesus, he sees me through who? Yeah. And when he sees his son, does he see his son as justifying? Justified. He paid the price. The Lord said on the cross, it is finished. And then he was raised from the dead as proof that he finished paying the penalty for sin. Now when the father sees me, he sees me through his son because I am in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm embraced with Christ. So the father sees me through his son. Do I have to worry about that slate? Nope. I've been forgiven. Isn't that good news? You have to walk out of here wondering, oh man, am I going to sin today? And if I die, am I going to hell? Because there's some people out there that believe that you can lose your salvation. But you can't. You can't be unborn again. It says you're born again. Can you be unborn physically? Can any of you be unborn physically? You know, you're always going to be Matt Clark. <laughs> you can't change that fact. But now the Father sees me through his son, Jesus. You know, without this wonderful truth, we can't fully grasp the joy of salvation. You won't have any joy. But knowing that you are justified through Jesus... That should bring joy to you. A confidence to know that whatever your circumstance may be, whatever happens to you on this, in this world, when you pass from this scene and enter into his presence, you will be with him. Isn't that a joy? It's good confidence, isn't it? You ask somebody, if you were to die today, where are you going? Well, Christians who know Christ, they know right away. I mean, there's no hesitation. They said, I'm going to heaven. Well, why are you going to heaven? Because Jesus died for me. He paid the penalty for my sin. I deserve to go to hell, but he paid the price. And because of that, I'm going to heaven. And then there are some you ask to say, I'm not sure. That's scary. Just think, walking around, not knowing for sure that you're going to heaven that's terrible that's a terrible thought because I know there's been some people in this room that I've seen one week one Sunday and next Sunday they're not here they're gone they were taken away from this from this world you never know you never know Well, Jesus is our punishment substitute in his death, and he's our rebirth substitute in his resurrection. Point six. The resurrection gives us joy of knowing that Christ is with us today. He has promised that he will be with us to the end time. Do you believe that? I do. I'm glad for that. He said so. He's not like some dead hero that goes to the grave. They can't help us. But he is the risen Savior. He's in heaven and he gives us great confidence. Because of the tomb is empty, Jesus is on the throne. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting on the throne in heaven. 
And we can know for sure that we will be victorious, irrespective of what is happening in today's world. Those who belong in Jesus Christ have been crucified, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And to be crucified with Christ, that we're no longer slaves to indwelling sin. It's as simple as that. For now, we're slaves unto Christ. It's out of this union with Christ's death and resurrection that our Christian lives are lived. We see that in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. And notice, it's no longer I who live. Notice the eyes crossed out. No longer I. But Christ lives in me. Do you believe that? Do you believe Christ is living in you? If you don't, he says he does. He's living in you if you know him. And then he says, In the life which I now live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Who do I live for? Do I live for I? No. Who do I live for? Jesus Christ. See, my whole thinking has changed. I'm going down this path. Christ is in me. I have his mind now. Okay, I want to think like Jesus. So I'm going this way. I'm going down the path following him. Now, oftentimes we go out and get deviated from that path following him because why? We follow the I, follow our own desires, right? He wants us to follow him. And point seven, finally. You know, we live in a broken world, don't we? I mean, just pick up the paper, look at the news, look at, you know, on the radio, on TV. It is a terrible, broken world, and it gets worse, it seems like, each year. It doesn't get any better. Well, we also know it's a broken world when we see friends or relatives pass from this world. Every Christian at some point in their lives will know the pain of a loved one who has died. Right? I think most of us I know in here have gone through that. When Paul told us not to grieve as others do who have no hope, he did not mean that we would not experience sadness. But because Jesus conquered the grave, conquered the grave, we have confidence that one day we will rise to. That's a confidence we have because it says so. And I'm glad it's written in the word. We know, we know for sure. All true believers are raised with Christ. And it's through the resurrection the last Adam became life-giving spirit. Paul tells us the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You believe that? Dwells in you. Since becoming a believer, has your life changed? Are you directed by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit in your life? I'm sure you are because he's in you. You will live a different life. Those are facts. And this is an amazing power which is available to transform and equip and empower each one of you who know Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, it says, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead? It's a source of great joy for the Christian that Jesus will return. But it should also cause us great concern for those who are living apart from him. If there's anyone in here living apart from Jesus today, you should have great fear in your heart that you'll be separated from God forever should you pass from here into death. 
Well, because of the resurrection, we can be sure that this same Jesus will return again. And how do we know? Because he says so in Acts. In Acts 17, it says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to what? Repent. That's his desire. He desires that all men repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And has given him assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Well, as we leave, our, leave this building today, ask yourselves two questions. Does the resurrection have meaning in my life? And what is the eternal hope that I have in my life today? If I suddenly were to pass from this world into eternity, where would I be? But we can praise the Lord. God has given us the hope that is in him to be with him forever if you know him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this Resurrection Sunday. And Lord, we are reminded afresh again that it's through the death of your son, his burial, his resurrection, that we have life. We have eternal life. We can have eternal life with you forever if we confess our sins and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And Lord, may the truths of this Easter Sunday be resonant in our minds throughout the day and throughout the year. And may we always be encouraged by the joy it is to know Christ. And for those that don't know Christ, we pray, Lord, that you would move them and stir them to repentance, that they might know the joy that we we have, and that we all one day will meet together with you in heaven. And we do pray this in Jesus' name.